Welcome to episode 49 of Real Travels. I'm your host, Lisa Iannucci, the author of On Location, a Film and TV Lover's Travel Guide. Today, almost this entire episode is dedicated to Charlie Chaplin. I talk to an author of a book on the legend, and we take a peek into Chaplin's world, an incredible museum in Switzerland that really needs to be on your bucket list. It's on mine. Plus, I have what I think is the best celebrity minute I've got since I started doing this podcast. You're not going to believe this one. Let's get started. Hey everyone, it's mid-July. I hope you're all having a great summer, staying safe, and trying to have some fun. Today's episode is a lot going on, so we're just going to jump right in and get started. I have three big things lined up. The first is an interview with Gary Golio, the author of a kid's book on Charlie Chaplin. It's actually a great introduction to get to know where Hollywood's roots started. Next, I'll jump into an interview with Sophia Bischoff of Chaplin's World, the home of Charlie Chaplin that was turned into an amazing interactive museum. And finally, you're not going to believe my special Real Travel Celebrity Minute with incredible voice actor Rob Paulson, known for his voiceovers on Animaniacs, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Jimmy Neutron, just to name a few. Stick around, because you're not going to believe what he does on this Celebrity Minute. But first, I talked to Gary Golio, the author of Smile, How Young Charlie Chaplin Taught the World to Laugh. We had a great conversation about Charlie's career and his films. I hope you enjoyed this interview. On this week's edition of Real Travels, it's all about the little tramp, Charlie Chaplin. And one of my guests is the author of Smile, How Young Charlie Chaplin Taught the World to Laugh and Cry. Gary Golio has written several best-selling and award-winning picture book biographies, including Jimmy, Sounds Like a Rainbow, When Bob Met Woody, and Spirit Seeker, John Coltrane's Music Journey. Hey, Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lisa. Nice to be here. I am so happy, actually, and I find it so interesting that I interviewed you for another story. I saw your book back then, and I have to tell you the reason why I got back into watching Chaplin was because of the book you sent me that you did. I know it's a kid's book, but I studied Chaplin when I was a kid in film school, and then I kind of let it go. And when I got your book, I was like, all right, I got to get back into this. I never watched all of his movies. So I sat down and little by little tried to watch as many as I could. So you inspired me to do that. So thank you very much. (laughs) Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) Now, um, first thing that I want to ask you is really more about the the artistry of this book. And I know that that actually your artist is Ed Young. And I love the colors used in this book because even though Charlie Chaplin was known for black and white films, you didn't stick with black and white. The book pops in such awesome color and design. Was that intentional? Yes. In fact, uh, the, the the illustrator artist that you're talking about, Ed Young, is a, a really celebrated figure in children's books. He's won the uh, every year the American Library Association across the country they give uh, awards for the best illustrated picture book. Um, and uh, he's won, it's called the Caldecott Medal. He's won the Caldecott 
and he's one to honor Caldecott. So he's been <clears throat> he's been uh, doing children's books since I think 1961. He's turning 90 years old this year, wow. and he he is always working on at least three books. He's an amazing person. He's a wonderful fellow. He's a good soul. He's a friend of mine, and he was my Tai Chi teacher for many years too. And uh, so yeah, so what we talked about, he was very collaborative. We were we worked on this this vision together. When I showed him the the text, the manuscript, and said, Ed, is this something you'd be willing to illustrate? And he said yes. So when I went to editors, I I brought him along. Uh, so it was kind of a package deal because we had a we had a, a you know an understanding of what we wanted to do. And as you said, if you look at the first two or three pages, they're black and white. Mm -hmm. And then he introduces some subtle colors, these blues and greens. And then, and this is collage with watercolor and all sorts of different media. And then it, you, you see some browns and some reds introduced. And then, as you said, you start to get these bright colors. Uh, and things change. You see, you know, Charlie's life as a boy, things starting to happen. And when things get a little rollicky and he starts as a boy working in what we would call vaudeville or the musical tradition of England, that's when the colors get pretty funky. And uh, by the end of the book, you know, they are. They're popping out there and Charlie's upside down and there's paint and all sorts of wonderful things happening. Um, it's it's an beautiful book. It is absolutely a beautiful book. And um, now, do you decide who you want to write about next, or do you have a publisher that goes, "Hey, we want a book on Chaplin." Was this your idea? Uh, these are all my ideas. I mean, my first book, as you said, Jimmy Sounds Like a Rainbow, was about the the boyhood of um, of Jimi Hendrix in Seattle how he got his first guitar and began playing, and most people don't know these stories. And the next book was about the young Bob Dylan and uh, his desire to meet his hero and mentor, Woody Guthrie, and Bob eventually comes to New York City in a snowstorm in January of 61 and actually goes to the hospital where Woody Guthrie is and introduces himself and plays Woody all of Woody's songs with a guitar. and. So all these things are, you know, they're all about um, musicians and, and human beings like John Coltrane, but also Billie Holiday and um, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, my newest book this year is about Sonny Rollins, the great mm -hmm. saxophone colossus, you know. And so these are all people that that I find to be really inspiring, but, but also... Most of them are musicians because, as a as a really uh, amateur in, in you know in in the sense of the word, uh, loving you know like I love music and I just love to play my guitar. So I think these people are great creators. Billy Holiday was such a brilliant artist, and um, so these are people that you know that trigger my kind of passion, and I think. The books are intended to be like uh, kind of like roadmaps for mm -hmm. kids who have a passion for something. It doesn't have. It could be football or it could be uh, rap music. It doesn't matter to me. Um, it's just.
about how young people become interested in the arts and, and use that passion to become good at something. You know, it's interesting. I run another podcast called The Right Start, where I actually talk to authors about how they got their start and how they made a successful career. And what I and and you have in this industry for sure. And it's interesting because writing books for kids is so hard because Charlie Chaplin's life is huge and you have to condense it into this small book. And yes. on top of that, make it appealing for kids who, unless their parents have introduced half of these people to them, they may not ever have even heard of before. For I'm going to ask you, and uh, I'm putting you on the spot because I'd love to be able to share this part of the, the interview with that audience as well. How do you decide and, and how do you figure out what you're keeping in and what you're not keeping in and, and make it so that it's appealing to a brand new audience? Well, that, that's a that's a superb question. And um, first of all, I was a, a clinical therapist, a psychotherapist for many years. So, and I worked with not just adults, but many, many teenagers and and kids. Um, and these are people who uh, had addiction troubles, but also people who had some unpleasant, really unpleasant things happen to them. So, I'm very, very um, careful about. Uh, you know, introducing kids to themes that I think are appropriate. And, you know, just like you wouldn't give a kid a, uh, a license to drive a car at six years old or a checkbook at six years old, you know, there are things that you can and you really might not want to ever discuss with them when they're of a certain age. Um, and some, you know, like my John Coltrane book, teenagers read that because it's about his life and his addiction. But most of my books... Uh, are suitable, suited to younger readers. And what, you know, what I find most interesting, uh, I, I always look for a particular story in the life of a person like Bob Dylan or Billie Holiday or, um, or Charlie Chaplin uh, that tells you, that's a true story, these are all true stories, that tells you something important about who that person was. Like it's like a little crystal and a little kind of a crystalline moment that says, wow, that says so much about Charlie Chaplin or Dizzy Gillespie or Billie Holiday or who, or Bob Dylan, whoever it is. And so the things that I put into the book, I hope will resonate with kids. Like they'll say, wow, that's so cool. You know, Jimmy only had a... His father found him a beat-up ukulele uh, when he was cleaning out somebody's basement, and it only had one string on it, and yet uh, Jimmy listened to the radio to all these great songs in the late 50s and early 60s, and he was able to play the melody on this ukulele. <laughs> and so, you know, that kind of thing really interests me. You know, his father bought him a beat-up $5 guitar, when he was about 15. And this is a guy, Jimi Hendrix, who went on to make so much money. He could have he bought any guitar that he wanted. And, and yet, he always retained that sense of what was important. It wasn't money. It was about the joy of playing. And so, you know, I, I look for stories within a person's life that, that really shine a light on who they were and can 
excited about um, another human being. Mm -hmm. And with Chaplin, immediately your book just jumps into, now I know that everything you just talked about, but it jumps into the fact that he had a rough start to the beginning of his life. Of course, he's a, he becomes a success story, and there is the, um, you know, kind of work hard and look what you look what you get kind of morale or moral, I guess, of the story. But that was a rough start. I mean, you know, being a little kid, five years old, dancing for food or for money for food, that's a big lesson for a young boy, isn't it? Yes, I mean... Um when we think of, you know, and my, my parents were came from very poor backgrounds, um, and they both went into, they both dropped out of high school in 1941 and went into the war. My father went into the Navy for six years during World War II. My mother went into a war factory, and, you know, they never had much. And um, Chap, but when you talk about Chaplin, we're talking about somebody who literally, as a kid, was eating out of garbage cans at times when his mother was in the hospital, his father had abandoned the family, um, his older brother uh, tried to, you know, begin a career for himself by going into the Navy as a boy. Uh, there was, a, there's a system, or there was, in England at that time in the late 1800s where if you were poor, they put you in what was called a workhouse. This was to keep you from getting into more trouble on the street. So Charlie's mother, his brother, and he were all in a workhouse. And they gave you things to do. They gave you some food. They gave you a roof over your head. But it was pretty bleak, let me tell you, if you mm -hmm. read stories about workhouses. So, um, yes, he was. he knew poverty. And the funny thing is that he took... And, and later on, when he got out of the workhouse, he was a boy of about seven or eight years old, he started working in what we called vaudeville then, but was like the music hall tradition, uh, club dancing, and then acting in little plays, and finally he was in a very, uh, kind of a big deal. He was like, um, I think he was 10 or 12 years old at the time, um, and he was in a play about Sherlock Holmes, which was a big deal. In, uh, in, a, in the theater area of London at that time, and people started seeing him. He started developing more skills. But when he became the tramp that we know, that character, that is, is based so much on his personal understanding of what it meant to live out on the street without a roof over your head, sleeping in you know, the woods or the street in an alleyway, eating out of garbage cans. Uh, and yet, he's, he's the, you know, his movies are known for not just making things tender, like in the, in the, in the movie The Kid, uh, but also funny. And that was the beauty of Charlie, that, you know, with the tears, there was always laughter kind of interwoven with that to soften the blow. You know, I, I, it's so funny. All these things you say, I sat there realizing when I was watching some of these movies and, and knowing what you had said about his life. And it was interesting to see, like, he would have these scenes with these tiny rooms and one bed and, you know, yes. making one uh, – uh, he only had one pot and making food. And I was like, wow, he really did take – you know, talk about taking what you know and working with it. 
you know, yes. and and but when when he was little though to put that concept together that hey if I entertain I'll get money. I mean you're talking like five, eight, nine years old. I would never have made that connection, you know, that hey they're gonna give me money if I entertain them, so let me keep doing that. That's a grown up concept. Well also, um the inspiration for that kind of a thought uh came from his mom and he did know his father as a boy and his father had been a singer in this music hall scene in, in London and uh, his mother was a singer and, and I also believe as a, somewhat as a dancer and entertainer herself and uh, so he knew what that was about and he'd seen it and at five years old as the story goes um, he was with his mother who was really you know at this time things were getting to be pretty dire for she and uh, the two boys and she, we don't know why exactly, she was suffering, you know, emotionally and physically. And she was in a music hall and she was supposed to go on and sing a song. And she completely lost her voice. And Charlie knew the song. He'd heard her sing it. She taught him at home at night. She would tell him stories about Shakespeare and, and uh, you know, different characters and act them out. And so... He jumps onto the stage and sings a song for the audience. And, of course, the audience is so enthralled that this little five-year-old kid can do this, and he's got the spirit of entertainment, that they're throwing money onto the stage, you know. And this is the legend, and it apparently is true, you know, and this is how he began uh, to get that taste of what it would be like to be in front of an audience and get that kind of love and, and attention and recognition. And um, it really, you know, it was kind of a family legacy uh, from mm -hmm. mom and dad. Can you tell, talk a little bit about just how he gets discovered and he jumps from, you know, the kid who just entertained for a few pennies to being on screen? Yes. Well, in, to make this uh, kind of condensed, what happened was his brother came back from the Navy and uh, – you know, the two of them, he, he and his brother, Charlie and his brother Sidney, used to, to do things together. They both had the same mom, so they, they knew something about entertainment, and Charlie had already been in the music hall scene, and so um, Sidney comes back, and he fancies himself an entertainer, too. And so he begins working with uh, a pretty well-known troupe at that time, run by a guy named Fred Carno. And uh, they did skits in music halls and theaters and all sorts of stuff. And Charlie's looking at this and he's saying, wow, you know, Sidney's got this great gig going. And he'd already been himself um, doing the Sherlock Holmes play. And one day Sidney says to Fred Carno, he says, you know, you should see. You think I'm good? I'm nothing compared to my little brother. you got to see this guy. And long story short, Fred Carno sees the young Charlie Chaplin, and he thinks he's, he's all right, you know, he's nothing great. And as Carno gives him more responsibility and more characters to play, Charlie just takes all of that in and he becomes better and better and better. And this natural charm that he has and these gifts start coming out, slapstick and everything that we associate with, like, the Keystone Cops and all 
Carno sends his troop to, of course, America, and he asks Charlie to go. And Charlie was known, and he was only like 21 years old, he's known for playing this character called the inebriate or the drunk. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the movie um, Chaplin, which it, I think is one of the, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie, right at the beginning, it's as if you are looking, you're, it's like you're there watching a YouTube video of something that really happened, and you're seeing him as a young, almost a boy, I mean, he's like 21, playing what everybody believes is a 45 or 50-year-old drunk, and tumbling and falling, and people are just hysterical, and so what happens is um, the great uh, company owner, movie owner, Max Sennett, who made the Keystone Cops, sees him on Broadway in New York, and he sends him a telegram, long story short, come to California, I'll pay you, you know, several hundred bucks a week, whatever it was, which was unheard of. Charlie goes to California, shows up at Max Sennett's one day, and Sennett says, who are you? He said, I'm Charlie Chaplin, the guy. He said, Chaplin's 45, 50 years old. Don't give me that. You're just a kid. Who are you? So Chaplin demonstrates that he is truly that guy, and that's how he begins around 1913, 1914, being uh, a movie actor. that like he would you know he could walk the streets because nobody nobody else even realized that that was him so he would take like the the mustache off and of course not be wearing the clothes nobody would recognize him well you know that you, that's so good that you brought that up because in 1914 or 15 he gained he did so many movies and they were only like 15 20 minute reels you know they were very short movies uh with mabel normand and with uh, max Sennett. He did so many movies so quickly, and he became so popular so quickly that within two years, like 1914, 1915, and the movies, the movies were becoming a big deal in the United States. And what happened, the movies were becoming a big deal across the world. And this is what, this is the truth. Charlie Chaplin, the tramp, the character of the tramp, the image that we have of the tramp with the derby and the, the mustache and all that stuff became the most famous, the most widely recognized figure in the world. But if Charles Chaplin walked down the street of Los Angeles or any, nobody recognized him. Nobody knew who he was. So mm -hmm. it was really kind of, I thought that's really kind of a wonderful I, I also think that, I mean, at least he had a way of having a little bit of privacy in his life that was, you know, shooting into superstardom. So based yeah. on all of that, okay, when I went back and started re-watching some and re-watching others that I had seen before, I had never seen The Kid. And uh. I have to say, like, I watched it, and out of all the ones that I've seen, that's my favorite because it yes. had that heartwarming, even though – He's in this bad shape. He takes this kid in, and, and he loves this kid, and you can feel it, and you can see it. What's your favorite, and why? What, what appealed to you about whatever movie you like best? Well, there 
I've watched, uh, you know, I've watched all of them. There are a lot of them. Some are only 15, 20 minutes. Some are, you know, an hour, hour and a half. Um, the Kid is one of my favorites because it's about that beautiful harmony between tenderness and hilarity, you know, mm-hmm. where he's he's just hilarious at times, and at other times you, you, you can't help but shed a few tears. And uh, the ending of The Kid is just spectacular. It right? is, um, it is. But uh, now that was 1921. Um, but two, uh, three years before that, A Dog's Life, that is like the tramp in all his raw beauty, kicking ladies in the behind, <laughs> getting, you know, getting attacked by dogs and eating, you know, garbage. I mean, he's just, that's so great. 1925, the gold rush. Oh, brilliant, where he eats the the shoes. That's And the, he plays the little game with the um, the biscuits and makes them dance. Some, a lot of people know that. Um, but recently, I just watched Modern Times from mm-hmm. 1936 and The Circus from 1928. And, of course, Chaplin, after 1931, he wrote the music to his own, he scored his own movies. So um, the great song, Smile, you know, Smile, Although Your Heart Is mm-hmm. Breaking, you know, that that's from Modern Times. And when I saw Modern Times again, and I haven't seen it for maybe three years, I just was blown away. It was so brilliant. It was, I mean, the, the name of it is called Modern Times, but it was so modern. It made so much sense. It wasn't something like, oh, that's really kind of old hat. You know, that's really boring. It was brilliant. There are so many um, scenes in that movie where he's skating in the department store or, you know, where he's in the on the assembly line doing these things at the speed of light with his hands. And... It's just so much, and and of course to see um, in 1940 when he when he did the Great Dictator, and it wasn't it wasn't the Tramp character, mm-hmm. although there is a he plays a barber in there, which is so, sort of like the Tramp, and that's the first movie where he really speaks and he gives that impassioned speech at the end about war and peace, right before we go into World War Two. Um, but the kid, the kid is brilliant. Yeah. And I might be in the minority here, but I have to say that I was not a fan of The Great Dictator. I don't know uh-huh. if it's because of everything this country's gone through and I just picked the wrong time to watch it. But yeah, I just like, really yeah, yeah, I couldn't get into it. I, I preferred the, the, the less serious, slightly serious, I guess, overtones to it, to the, to it, where he was trying to just be even funnier, and, and I guess I was looking for an escape, you know, so maybe I need to go well, back and watch that one of, again. A lot of metaphor and reference and analogy in there, and you're right, it, it, you know, underneath, it's really, and not so far underneath the surface, it's really about a lot of pain and sadness about mm-hmm. war and the terrible things that we do as human beings. Uh, and he did make it funny in many, many places, you know, but as you say, yeah, it's really a, a serious movie, you know. Exactly.
exactly, exactly. Now, have you ever, being that this is real travels, and and I'm going to have Chaplin's World from Switzerland actually on this episode as well, have you ever either gone to Switzerland to check out Chaplin's World, or have you gone to any other location that you wanted to see that was based on one of your favorite movies or TV shows? It didn't have to be Chaplin. So either Chaplin or something else. Well, uh, interestingly, I, it was two. It was the year before. It was uh, so. It was 2019. I was invited to go to Chaplin's World in Vevey, Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, which is where Charlie lived from like 1952 until his death uh, in '77. And um, his home became the museum. And they invited me to come. My book had come out, and uh, unfortunately. Uh, I had a little health thing going on, and uh, there was a lot going on here with family members who were not well and stuff. And so I, I have a friend, a high school. Uh, I went to high school with a friend who's a Swiss citizen. He lives like 45 minutes from there. And he said, "Come on over. You can stay with us, and mm-hmm. you can you can do your lecture at the uh, at the museum." And I wasn't able to, but I would. It, it, you should tell all your people to go look at the website for it. It mm-hmm. looks incredible, and I would love to go and uh, do a talk and you know show people the book. And, and I think they have it in the bookstore there. But um, you know because that was his house too. And when you look down the long lawn, you know that view is something that he saw every day. And of course that's where he lived with um, his wife. Una O'Neill, uh, Una Chaplin, and their eight children. <laughs> wow, wow. See, I get chills yeah. knowing that it's not just a museum, but it was his house, and you're going to stand on the same grounds that he walked on. And, yes. and yes. you know, that, that kind of stuff gives me chills. That's why I love doing this, because I hear stories <laughs> like this where people stepped at a certain spot that so-and-so stepped, and I'm like, I want to do that, you know. So what about any other movies? Have you ever traveled to see something from a different movie uh, film location? That's a good question, because I'm a huge uh film buff. I adore the medium of movies, and that's one of the reasons I love doing this book, too. But um, have I ever been somewhere? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, Gee. I'm going to have to send you my book, then. I I will say this. um, And this is an old movie, Zorba the Greek, Mm -hmm. and uh, Never on Sunday with Melina Mercouri. Uh, those were movies about Greece, and for my honeymoon in 1980, a long time ago, my wife and I have been married a long time, um, we went to, uh, we went to Greece, and we went up to the, um, we went to Crete, which is where Zorba the Greek takes place, and where it was filmed, and we went to, um, some of the spots where, the great Greek writer Nikos Kazantzakis, um, where some of his his novels were set. So kind of in a way, and I became, you know, I started learning Greek and I was big into it. So mm-hmm. I guess we could say that's kind of part of it. 
That's awesome. Um, I know that I told you I was only going to keep you on for like 15 minutes or so. I doubled that, and I'm not upset because I've really enjoyed this conversation. So, (laughs) um, where can people find your books, and where can they get Smile? Uh, Smile. How Young Charlie Chaplin Taught the World to Laugh and Cry. Um, Gary Golio is the author. Ed Young is the illustrator. You can find this at the bigger outlets like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all that stuff. But I also encourage people to go and see if, you know, just Google this and see if you can find an independent and indie bookstore in your area because these are people who, you know, really love what they do. They love selling books. They love interacting with customers. They love telling people about books and literacy and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, especially after the pandemic and even still, of course, uh, you know, indie businesses of all kinds need help. So, you know, if you can, if you want to buy the book through a, a local bookstore, then, you know, more power to you. Well, I I love that you said that. My daughter is a manager of an independent bookstore um, uh, right in the yeah. Hudson Valley. You know it well, Oblong Books. You know it. Uh, it's oh, in of Rhinebeck. course. I've yep. been there. Sure, I've yeah. done book signings. Yeah, my daughter has worked her way up. She's manager of the store now, and I, I love oh. when people promote um, independent bookstores. Definitely try to order from them if you can. And, yes. um, you know, I, I'm really excited that you're working on yet another book. When is that one coming out? Uh, well, the one that's coming out in um, October of this year, and I, we just got our first review. We got a starred review from Booklist. Uh, it's called uh, Sonny Rollins Plays the Bridge. And it's all based on a true story of uh, how the great saxophonist, jazz saxophonist, Sonny Rollins, when he was like 30, 31 years old in 1959, he was at the top of the jazz world, and he walked away. Uh And I have, uh, the book is also based upon a lot of uh, phone conversations I've had with Sonny. We still talk like every month or so on the phone, and he's 90 now. He's going to be 91 this year. He's sharp as a tack. And... um, the book is about him walking away. I said, Sonny, well, you know, how come? Why did you do this? He walked away from the scene because he felt he wasn't as good as they said he was. And he didn't have a place to play. He couldn't play in his little apartment with his wife. So he went up. He lived on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He went up to the pedestrian walkway atop the Williamsburg Bridge. And we're not talking about opening your saxophone case and looking for money. He didn't do that. He just went up there by himself every day to practice and to play his horn to the clouds and the foghorns and the, uh, the the tugboats on the river below him and to the the city in the distance and the train tracks because there's a subway there. And um, it's a great book about listening to the little voice inside of you that tells you what really need to do that's the right thing for you oh wow i'm i want that book too (laughs) (laughs) that can also be these other places like you know amazon and barnes and noble and independent bookstores not out yet coming soon though awesome awesome gary thank you so much for being on real travels today i love this conversation and i i really appreciate that you came on the show 
Oh, me too, Lisa. This has been such fun. Uh, you know, I haven't uh, talked about this book in a while, and uh, I did a little brushing up, uh, you know, looked at the book and stuff, but you just drew it all out of me, <laughs> and uh, I'm smiling now. I'm smiling. Okay, there's I'm smiling, and uh, it's been so much fun, and I think, Charlie, you know, let's just... I did it because kids don't know who Charlie Chaplin is. Even when I sent it to a few editors... In their 20s, they didn't know who he was. And I'm thinking, this guy is like Picasso. He's like Mozart, mm -hmm. you know? And you've got to know who people like Billy Holiday and Charlie Chaplin are. And I tell, in the back of the book, there's a lot of, you know, additional information in the back. And I tell parents, teachers, kids, you got to go and go to YouTube, go to your library, Get out some Charlie Chaplin books, watch him on YouTube, watch him on your computer because he's as modern as today. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going to leave you on a little side note and then I'm going to let you go that when my kids, I have three kids and they were little, you know, we would listen to little kid songs in the car and things like that. But then I would also pop in old-time radio shows. So my, uh -huh. when my daughter went to her second-grade class, and one day the teacher said, has anybody ever heard of Who's on First? My daughter is the only one in the class uh -huh. who raised her hand, and she's like, that's Abbott and Costello. We listen to that in the car all the time. And she starts to do the skit, and I heard from the teacher about it. I was dying, but I was like, that's why I did it, because these are, you know, I, I, I it's great that they knew who Barney was, but I wanted them to to know who some of the old-time comedians were and the classics and who started all of, you know, the TV shows and stuff. So I think it's really important to, to give that kind of an education to all the kids. And if you're 20 and you don't know, do what Gary said. Go take out some videos or look on YouTube because you, you got to know who these people are and where the history of, of television and film come from. Exactly. Boy, Lisa, you're a promoter. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Now, if you're a big fan of Charlie Chaplin's, you may want to see where it all started. So the next time you're in Switzerland, head over to Chaplin's World. Next up, I talk to Sophia Bischoff, who talks about this incredible museum and what you can see when you visit. Hey, Sophia. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. I know um, we, we've tried for a while to, to get you on the air, and I'm so excited that we finally have the chance to do that. And I, it's hard to believe I'm talking to Switzerland. What's the weather like over there? I'm so jealous. Well, it, it, it's sweater-y, and we don't understand it, because sometimes it rains a bit, then there's a big sunshine, and then it rains again. So these days it's kind of weird. Usually we have quite a sunshine at this uh, time of the year but you you don't know what's happening these days but it's switzerland so doesn't any weather doesn't it not matter <laughs> you're still there <laughs> yeah it is it is so you were with uh chaplin's world and as we talked about earlier you know we're, we're everything charlie chaplin today how did you get involved in uh working there how did that come about well, I've heard about the museum uh, getting built a few years ago before they uh, actually opened it. The museum opened in 2016, and I always wanted to work there. And uh, one day there was a job opening for a project manager in communication, and uh, I applied, and uh, and it worked. So that's basically uh, basically how it happened. And uh, I've I've lived in Vevey when I was a uh, um, small girl, 
until I was seven years old. Vevey is the town just below uh, Cordier sur Vevey, where the museum is. And Chaplin was was really like a, a major figure for the, the the region. And we have a, a huge statue of Chaplin by the lake in Vevey. And I used to play around it when I was a kid. I used to watch the movies. So that was really uh, a quite nice opportunity for me to work there on a personal level and on the professional level. So quite happy to be there. That's, don't you love when that happens, that when you have an interest and you need a job, they just kind of meld together and you get the best job? Yes, yes, it does. That's what's happening. <laughs> what I heard, and you can verify this, is Chaplin's World is actually at his house, right? It was his house converted into a museum? Yes. We basically have three three parts in the museum. The the first part is the manoir, which was actually Chaplin's home for the past 25 years of his life, where he lived with Huna and the kids. And uh, this part is also part of the museum, and it's now really recreated as if when you go into the manoir, you are welcomed by, by the Chaplin family to visit their home and how they used to live there and how was their personal life, the travels they did uh, and so. And then you have the the park, which is a beautiful park around the, the manoir where you can see all the trees that, that have been there since before Chaplin lived in uh, in the manoir. And then they build an extra an extra building, which is called the studio. And it's uh, I'm not gonna say too much details about it because it's quite quite nice to discover it uh, when you don't know anything about it. And it's really a part where you discover the um, the, the the movies Chaplin made. And uh, and it's not it it's really like you you go into the movie sets sometimes. So, wow. so this, is, this is quite quite beautiful and uh, and mesmerizing to see, even if you are not a Chaplin fan. Everybody loves it. And it's so cool to think that you are literally walking where he walked because this was part of this, this is his house. So yeah. it, it makes that extra special, don't you think, versus just opening a building anywhere? It is. It is extra special. And actually, the the building where we work for uh, the the staff that work there is uh, is called uh, the farm, and is where the um, Chaplin staff used to live. So everything is is has been taken and turned into some part of the museum. So it's quite it's quite nice, and you can really feel the the energy when you when you walk in the manoir or in the park. The the energy and the and the and the history that that has been made there. So it's quite quite special to be there, especially at night when you you walk around the manoir alone without any visitors. Wow, I know that we, I talked to the other author um, Gary prior to bringing you on, but I just want to know from, from what you see with the visitors, why do you think that Charlie Chaplin is so popular so many years later that people want to come and see the exhibits and see the movies and things like that? What, what, do, you, what do you hear? Well, on a personal level, I think that his, his movies are, are timeless and speak to every gender, every color, and every religion, every type of person there is in, in this world. Well, whatever you do in, in your life uh, and you watch a Chaplin movie, you can always find something that will touch you or make you laugh, especially if you, if you look at the kids. The kid is a perfect uh, example of this. You can laugh and, and cry and you can feel touched and you can relate to the story and I really yeah I feel like Chaplin is is 
a universal movie that that talks to everybody and never gets old in the end. So, yes, yeah. it's funny you mentioned the kid because I studied Chaplin in college, but I never got a chance to watch the kid. It's not one of the movies that we chose for some weird reason. So I decided during the pandemic to watch more of his movies, and I saw that one, and that one instantly became my favorite one out of all of them that I had seen. I thought it was so well done, and like you said, you know, you not only laughed, but you cried, and then there was this connection with him and the boy, and it was just, it's so good. And I think out of all of them, for me, that one was my favorite. So um, it's it's funny you mentioned that one. But speaking of COVID, are you guys are open now, right? Yes, we are, finally. We've been open since the 13th, 13th of March. Awesome. We opened uh, open with the new temporary exhibition on the Great Dictator to celebrate uh, its 80th anniversary. So let's talk a little bit about what you can see um, and these exhibits. So if I were to visit, you know, or is everything a permanent? Do you do you have temporary exhibits that rotate? Talk to talk a little bit about what I could expect to see. So the main part of the museum is a temporary exhibition. So the manoir where you discover his private life and, and the studio where you discover his artistic life, basically. And uh, on the last a floor of the manoir, which used to be uh, the children's room back then. Uh, we we have a space that is now uh, used to do temporary exhibitions. So now we have our third temporary exhibition. Um, in 2020, it was about uh, Chaplin's music, and to, to nowadays, it's about uh, the great dictator. We have the, this temporary exhibition until the end of August, and it's... Uh, it was mainly um, there to celebrate the 80th anniversary of the great dictator and because uh, the family and the chaplain office discovered never seen pictures of Dan James, who was uh, his assistant on the, on the movie. And uh, the, picture, the pictures are really beautiful and they show the backstage of the recording of the filming of the movie. And it's really, it really gave uh, uh, um, like material to do a temporary exhibition. And we also have uh, the jacket uh, Chaplin wore to play Hinkle in the movie. And there's really a funny story around this this jacket because it was uh, lost. The family didn't know where it was. They thought maybe Bono from U2 had it because he's also a fan of Chaplin. And oh, wow. one day we receive uh, our press review uh, and uh, we discover that uh, the jacket has been found in a private collection in Winterthur, which is two hours away from the museum in Switzerland. So uh, we contacted the, the, the foundation that uh, handled this private art collection and we asked them if we could uh, present the jacket during this uh, exhibit and they said yes. And uh, so yeah, you mainly you have the costumes, you have a you have a press review of uh, when the movie was released, you have like videos showing you how it really was uh, during this period, speeches of uh, Hitler and how Chaplin played it in the movie, and we also have a part dedicated to the final speech because obviously, well, it's one of the most moving speeches of the movie history. Okay, so my next question is, with Charlie's family, do you still, is there anybody still around, like grandchildren or great-grandchildren or anybody like that that still participates 
in the with the museum and anything that you do? Yes, of course. We are really, really um, happy to be able to uh, to work in close collaboration with the family. Uh, for example, every program, every event, every everything we want to do about the museum, we ask uh, for their advice, for what they think, for their approval. For us, it's really important to have their approval because they are Chaplin's family. So for us, it's really important. And we we work in a close collaboration with the Chaplin office in Paris, uh, which belongs to the family. And we have uh, the president of the Charlie Chaplin Museum Foundation, who is Michael Chaplin. And Eugène Chaplin um, often comes to the museum to do interviews to the press. So, yeah, for us, it's really important to, to have them around. That is super cool because you don't think about that at first, that you have the opportunity to work directly with his family on creating something magnificent at the museum. So in addition to the museum and all the exhibits and things that you had, I, I had mentioned that I was going to ask you about what you can do in the area besides the museum, should anybody make this a bigger visit. What would you suggest? I would say you have to take a few days to visit the, the, this part of Switzerland because it's really, really beautiful. You have all the vineyards around uh, in the Lavo, which are absolutely beautiful to visit. Uh, the walk around the lake uh, between Montreux and Vevey is absolutely uh, stunning. The, the sunset and the sunrise are beautiful. And there's a lot of, uh, of uh, activities to do. Uh, basically, you have, the, you have Montreux next, uh, next to the museum, so... I don't know if you know about the Montreux Jazz Festival, but for music, it's really uh, an important part of the of the of the history. Uh -huh. and Freddie Mercury lives there, so you can do a tour about Freddie Mercury. And uh, there's also the um, the Corvier sur Vevey, which is the the nice village where the museum is, which is really nice to visit with a nice uh, park and uh, yeah, there's basically a lot of things to do around. Just visit the whereabouts, take a walk by, by the lake, enjoy a coffee by the lake and visit the vineyards and, and, and also Lausanne, which is a, a city nearby, nearby, sorry, is really beautiful to see. So there's definitely stuff to do around. I am marking this all down because this is definitely on my bucket list to see. And where can the listeners find out more information on the museum and how far in advance would you suggest that they reach out and let you know that they're coming or they're buying tickets? Is there anything they should know about that? Everything you need to know about the museum, our upcoming uh, activities and what, uh, what you need to, to, to do when, to come, when you want to come are on our website, which is called chaplinsworld.com. And you can buy tickets uh, on the same day you want to come to the museum. Usually there's not uh, any restrictions, so it will depend with the next uh, step of the pandemic, but finger crossed. Uh, and you can buy the tickets in advance uh, on our website or directly uh, by, by the museum. Thanks, Sophia. And last, but definitely not least, is one of the best celebrity minutes I've had. I had the chance to interview Rob Paulson for an article I was doing. 
and I learned about his experiences with throat cancer, a journey he documented in his book, Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky, and an Animaniac Saved My Life. After the interview, he agreed to do my Celebrity Minute. But how he does it is so fun. I can't wait for you to hear it. Enjoy. Hello, listeners. Yakko Warner here of the Animaniacs. As many of you know, Yakko, that is yours truly, Wacko and Dot, my siblings, all live in the water tower right here on the Warner Brothers studio lot in Burbank, California. For my getaways, I love to check out the water towers in various towns around the country. Around the world, as a matter of fact. In fact, one could suggest that I like to look at water towers in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, and Panama, and Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guiana, and still, Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Bermuda, Bahamas, Tobago, San Juan, Paraguay, Uruguay, Suriname, and Guiana, Barbados, and Guam. Oh, sorry, I... Got a little sidetracked. My favorite water tower, check this out, is in Watertown, New York. Yeah, who'd have thunk? It's, uh, it's a tower full of water in a town called Watertown. Enough said. Get that, everybody. Hey, God, it's Pinky of Pinky and the Bride. Do you know what? I'm a hopeless romantic, you can probably tell, and I love to travel. So when Brian and I are not taking over the world, I like to go on a cruise ship. And I must tell you, they're frightfully easy for me to sneak on. Nobody sees me. And I get very tired of eating food pellets. So I love going on the cruises because I can eat all the food I like. No. My favourite romantic movie of all time is An Affair to Remember, starring Deborah Carr and Cary Grant. And so, when I get on board a ship and I sneak my way in, I'll get hold of a shrimp. I don't mind telling you, two of those things, and I'm done for two days. But I fancy myself in the movie An Affair to Remember. Not a bad way to move through life if you're a lab mouse. Point. Goodbye. Rob Paulson here. A pilgrimage based on a movie that I enjoy. Well, i got to tell you, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, one of my favorite romantic movies of all time, is Somewhere in Time. Uh, I grew up in Michigan, and my parents used to tell us all the time about how beautiful not only Mackinac Island was, but the Grand Hotel, both of which are featured prominently in Somewhere in Time. So a few years back, my wife and I made it up to northern Michigan and took the ferry out to Mackinac Island, and... Uh, made it over to the Grand Hotel. And I got to tell you, it is a stunning piece of old world architecture. It's just beautiful. And it was really kind of a cool way to fulfill this little dream of being involved with a favorite movie of mine. So next time you happen to be in northern Michigan, <laughs> don't forget to stop by the Grand Hotel. You sit back, have a couple of drinks, close your eyes, and believe that you are somewhere in time. You see what I did there? That's a good thing I'm an actor, not a writer. Take care. Thanks, Rob. Please order his book and order Gary's book, too. It's been a great episode, and I really appreciate that you tuned in. Please leave me a review or a rating. It really helps me out. And follow me on Instagram at The Virgin Traveler. I'd love to hear from you about your real travels and what you think of the podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you all next week.